questions define Jesus' public work of healing the sick, raising the dead, and feeding the hungry. In one vignette in Matthew's Gospel, a question is posed to Jesus by the mother of James and John, sons of Zebedee. For the purposes of this sermon, we will refer to her as Miss Zebedee. Miss Zebedee comes and kneels before Jesus and asks a favor of him. What do you want? Jesus asks bluntly. Will you declare that my two sons will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, when you come into your kingdom? This is a person who knows what she wants and is not afraid to ask. I appreciate her clarity. But instead of being flattered by the question, Jesus snaps back at her saying, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? You do not know what you are asking. I can't blame Miss Zebedee. Like every loving parent, she just wants what's best for her children. If given the opportunity, she will move to that better neighborhood for better schools for them. Put them in ACT preparation courses beginning in sixth grade and make sure they take all their vitamins before running off to lacrosse practice. James and John have the good fortune of having a faithful and persistent mother. Miss Zebedee is the Bible's first helicopter parent. But let's hone in on Jesus's statement and question to her. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? It is a confusing question. One of the only clues we have about Jesus's phrasing here is found a little later in Matthew, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying on the night before his crucifixion. Through tears, he pleads, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup is crucifixion, a form of death reserved for non-citizens of the Roman Empire. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink. That haunting question comes into stark relief when we realize Miss Zebedee's promising sons fall asleep in the decisive hour in Gethsemane. And then the cup of suffering comes on a hill called Mount Calvary. And when the kingdom of which Miss Zebedee speaks comes, there is one man at Jesus's right hand and one at his left, but they are not her sons. They are incarcerated men flanking Jesus on either side, suffering on their own crosses. Again, you do not know what you are asking. Miss Zebedee, like so many throughout history, have expected the kingdom or reign of God to look a lot like the systems of government we are accustomed to, rife with violence, domination, and erasure. On the cross, however, 
the kingdom or reign of God comes close to us in the frail and vulnerable body of an itinerant Jewish teacher born to a single mother in occupied territory. The reign of God, the kingdom of God, this new political order Jesus ushers in belongs to the dominated, not those who dominate to those on the unfortunate side of the barrel, not the one pulling the trigger, to those living history, not those writing it. This kingdom's border, if you will, is water, and its nourishment is bread and wine. Christ is king, not because he conquers, but because he fails, he dies, he is weak. That is the counterintuitive nature of life with God in Christ. God is not God because God is a winner. God is God because God suffers with us, experiences our pain, and becomes a credible companion through sharing our traumas. In short, Christ is king because in the words of a seminary classmate of mine, his throne is shaped like a cross. Amen.